Okay, I think it's time. Uh, the Pasha of Kisisa is uh, obviously the most difficult Pasha for us to uh, wrap our heads around, so to speak. The idea that B'nai Yisrael could build a golden calf, irrespective of what that golden calf was, or to what the nature of the idolatry was. You know, Litvaks are happy to say it wasn't this much idolatry, it was that much idolatry. You know, it's sort of like a, the way a Litvak pacifies himself. But if you look at it from afar, it's hard for us to imagine that any of us uh, having uh, participated in Matan Torah would then turn around uh, 40 days later and build this golden calf. I have to remember that, the, uh, that according to uh, many opinions, even though B'nai Israel did not hear the entirety of Aseret HaDibrot, but they did hear the first two Dibrot, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, and Lo Yelcha. And this was the only thing they heard directly from HaKadosh Baruch And this was the transgression that they chose. I mean, just, uh, it's just, uh, I mean, all the, the Sifrei Hasidut to try to talk about this issue all start off with this kind of introduction. We don't believe it. It's hard to believe. It's hard to understand. I mean, that's the introduction. But I would like to, I mean, this is certainly difficult, but I'd like to focus on a different aspect of unbelievability in the, in the parasha. Moshe Rabbeinu discusses the future of Am Yisrael with HaKadosh Baruch. HaKadosh Baruch suggests maybe the whole thing should start over again. That all of B'nai Yisrael deserve to be, to be killed, to die. Those who participated actively and those who participated passively. And you, Moshe Rabbeinu, should be the leader of a new nation. You, your children, your grandchildren, will start over again. Moshe Rabbeinu argues vehemently against this idea. And he closes his argument with this pasuk, with the pasuk, the first pasuk that's quoted. Va'ata in tisachatatam v'im'ayin mecheni namisivricha shekatavka. Which means, va'ata, and finally, this is the summarizing argument. It's as though Moshe Rabbeinu says, if none of the arguments that I have brought to the table thus far, and you know Moshe Rabbeinu said, what will everybody say? And what will the Egyptians say? Everybody will know that God took the Jews out of Mitzrayim in order to bring Territ Israel, and they won't, they won't make it Territ Israel. It'll be terrible. It'll be a kind of a setback for God. Because after all, we all know that Rambam taught us that God was also trying to educate the world at the same time. And here, if B'nai Yisrael die in the desert, it will be clear to everybody in the world that this is not God, the hand of God. All these arguments are brought on Moshe Rabbeinu. Finally, Moshe Rabbeinu says, which is a kind of a an elliptical phrase, which has to be understood, if you will bear their sin, you, HaKadosh Baruch will bear, you'll carry, you'll bear the sin, meaning, you'll forgive them, in some way or other, there'll be some sort of forgiveness, then I in, but if you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kaviyochel, cannot bear that sin, then Moshe Rabbeinu says, Mecheni na misifrecha asher katafta. Erase me from the book which you have written. The book that you have written is, of course, the Torah. Now it's hard to understand what might be going on in the mind of Moshe Rabbeinu. 
I mean, what possible difference could it make for the future of Kalal Yisrael whether Moshe Rabbeinu's name appears in the Torah or is erased from the Torah? This is something that, that is kind of a, a mystery. Rashi says, in Tisat Chatata, Rashi understands the Pasuk very well. Hareto, that's okay if you bear the sin. You, HaKadosh Baruch who can bear the weight of the sin, so to speak. Right? I don't say, I don't say, you should erase it. In other words, if you bear the sin, then you don't have to erase my name from the Torah. But if you don't bear the sin, Mikra Katsar means you have to fill in a few words. Mikra is a pasuk, Katsar is a short pasuk. It's short. It's elliptical. It's like, you know, in the third grade, in the third grade if you wrote something like that, there would be a red crayon mark, X. And if you were in college and wrote something like that, they'd say you were a poet. So that's the, the whole idea of poetry is to maintain your third grade kind of naivete until you get to college and then you're a poet. So, Rashi says, Imagine that. Well, what, 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 is this, what could this possibly mean? That you shouldn't say, people shouldn't say that Moshe Rabbeinu was not able to ask well enough. You see what Rashi says? Okay, we'll come back. We'll come back to the, to the Rashi. We will come back to the Rashi. In the beginning of last week's parasha, the parasha of Tetzaveh, which starts with this pasuk, I hope you still remember. Even though you know that Wednesday morning, we switched to next week's parasha. You could always say Havdolah until Tuesday night. If you forgot to say Havdolah on Motzei Shabbat, this is not so unlikely. You know, people live up north. I mean, really up north. The Shabbos is over at like 12 o'clock at night. They all go to sleep before they make Havdolah. And they make Havdolah the next morning. Not all. The children, you know, people have to... Well, has to go to sleep. So they, they make Havdalah next month. It's not so unlikely, but the halacha, you can make Havdalah until Wednesday morning. If you remember the Wednesday morning in the Shir Shal Yom, we say L'chun We add those two psukim. They're not really part of the Shir Shal Yom. It's like the next... It's, a, it's the two psukim of the next parak. We say that because, I guess, because it means next Shabbos is coming. And until Wednesday morning, it's still we're basking in the light of last Shabbos. And Wednesday morning, I have to start cooking and baking. I have nothing to do. So, how do we get to that? Anyway, last week's parasha, you should remember the first pasuk of last week's parasha. The first pasuk says, So there's a atzivui, that you need shemen zayit zach. You need oil from the olives. It has to be clean, pure. Uh, in order to, for the, to, to light the candles, the Beit HaMikdash. Now, on this pasuk, there is an interesting comment of the Baal HaTurim. Baal HaTurim, remember? Rav Yaakov, Baal HaTurim, who is the son of the Rosh. Yafeh? It's important to remember he's the son of the Rosh, who was a Talmud of the Marami Rittenberg. Right, Talmud of the Marami Rittenberg, so that the Rosh and the Balaturim were uh, of tremendous importance in finalizing what we call the Halakha and the creation of the Shulchan Aruch. Because the Shulchan Aruch is made up of the Tur and the Beit Yosef's commentary on the Tur, it's called the Beit Yosef, and that was shortened into what we call the Shulchan Aruch. So this is like, you know, heady stuff. And the Balaturim, the Balaturim wrote a commentary, not exactly on the Torah, 
But he wrote a commentary on the Misorah. On the Misorah. The Misorah is the result of counting. Because it it was very difficult to ensure that the Sofrim scribes would accurately copy the Sefer Torah. I mean, I'm sure no one here has ever tried to do that, but if you've ever tried to, to type on your computer a page of text, the chances that you could do it without making the mistake are Karovla Ephes. Karovla it's, it's it's almost inconceivable that you could type a page of text at any speed, I mean, but just do it in a constant way and not make a mistake. Because, unfortunately, our brains generate mistakes. So when we see a word that has, say, two letters, we see two letters, we kind of assume what the next letter is going to be. And so to be able to maintain a good distinction between Malay and Chaser, Hebrew words that have a vav and don't have a vav, have a yud and don't have a is very, very difficult. So imagine trying to copy the Sefer Torah, trying to copy the Sefer Torah and get it right. This was not an easy task. This was not an easy task. And in order to ensure that B'nai Yisrael, that the copyists would get it right, a whole literature was created called Misorah. And what did the Misorah literature say? It said, this word appears once in this form. No explanation. This word appears twice in this form. They took the consonants and the vowels together, and that was called the word. So that uh, later on, this Misorah was printed in many, many versions of the Mikraot Gedomot as little kinds of letters in between the text of the Torah and the Rashi, say, or the, or the Ramban, or the Unkelis, whatever, whatever. You know, there are two formats of the Mikraot Gedolot. Today there are more, but basically two formats, right? There's the top and the bottom format, where the Chumash is on top with the Unkelis, and underneath they have Rashi, Ibedezer, Ramban, or whatever. Right? That's one format. But there's another format where the text of the Chumash is sort of in the middle. And the Rashi is on one side, the Unglis is on the other side, the Ibedezer is on the other side, you know. And so they're basically two formats. In between the Chumash, and if you look, you go home and take a Chumash off the shelf. And you'll see that in between the Chumash and the commentary, there are little letters which are, which don't mean anything to anybody. Nobody, you know, we're so unimaginative that no one, in all the years I, was, I taught, whatever I taught, no one ever asked me what those little letters were. I had to ask people, students, to ask me. You know, because nobody noticed. Nobody noticed that those little letters are there. Those little letters are the remnants of the Misorah. Because instead of putting in the whole Mesorah, which became a big deal, they put in a little bit of the Mesorah. So if they put in an Aleph, that means this word with a little circle. You know those little circles that appear sometime in your Tanakh? And you'll be crowd Kedolot, I mean, not in the Tanakh. A little circle. Circle is a footnote. Except that you don't look at the foot, you look at the side. Like in the Gemara. Footnotes, you look at the sides. Right? No? In a chumash, in that particular, it's in a chumash. You like, you see a little circle. You look to the side. So you look at the side. You see aleph. Aleph means this word, this form, with this vocalization appears only word once in the entire Tanakh. And guess what bet means? Yes, you've got it. So what was the point of this? What was the point of this? Well, imagine a scribe is sitting there and he's writing away. And he writes a column and he wants to check on himself. The worst thing that he could do is just read it over again. Because he'll just make the same mistake. I mean, he'll read the same mistake that he made read the first time. But if he has this apparatus that's a little bit annoying, and it's like that Aleph. So that's a little interesting. He looks at what he wrote, and he says, did he write it this is the way it's supposed to be written? Even though he's copying it out of a book, but he's copying it out of a book that somebody else wrote. That we were talking about before printing. BP, before printing, not British Petroleum, before printing, there were no printed books. And therefore, the book he's copying from is 
also a book that could have had all these mistakes in it. So the only thing that stopped them from making the mistakes is the Misora. So now, why did I tell you all this? Because the Baal HaTurim is a commentary on the Misora that's attached to the Chumash. What do you think about that? Nothing. That's what, you know, sometimes you say something, you think it's so interesting, and everybody looks at you like, what's that Meshugana? Like, let's get on with that. So listen to what he said. This is what the Balaturim said. Lo hizkir Moshe b'zeh ha-seder. What's the seder? The parasha of Titzavet. Right, we're in the parasha of Titzavet. Last week's parasha. Lo hizkir Moshe b'zeh ha-seder. Moshe Rabbeinu was not mentioned in this parasha. Masha ain't came chumash. He says, unlike every other parasha in the Chumash, Moshe When was Moshe Rabbeinu born? In the parasha Shmot. No? Parasha Shmot. Shmot Vera Bobishalah Yisra Mishpot and Turuma Every single parsha has Moshe Rabbeinu's name except for Tetzaveh. Except for Tetzaveh. He doesn't mean the whole Chumash. He only means Shemot Vayikra and Bamidbar. Because in Devarim, in the parsha of Re'eh and Shoftim, Ekev Re'eh Shoftim, those three parshiot, also Moshe Rabbeinu's name doesn't appear. But you know that Devarim is different. I mean, Devarim is like Moshe Rabbeinu's book. So, uh, so it doesn't matter. What he means is that in the books of Shemot, of Ayikra, and Bamidbar, after Moshe Rabbeinu was born, his name appears in every single parasha. His name appears in every parasha in the Torah, except for the parasha Tetzaveh. How come? How come it doesn't appear in the parasha Tetzaveh? So the Balaturim says, Atam... Our apostle, he said, Moshe Rabbeinu said, And he says, everybody knows that there's a Gemara in Marcus that says, That if a Chacham, a, a, a Rav, a righteous person, says, If you don't do this, then this will happen. Just the fact that he said it means that it's going to happen at least a little bit. It's not going to be, it can't be just ignored. So since Moshe Rabbeinu said, but it was a conditional, right? If you bear the sin, okay. If you don't bear the sin, if you want to punish them, then so the, the Balaturim says, because Moshe Rabbeinu said it, it had to come true in some way. So where did it come true? In the parasha of Titzaveh. He says, Kilalat chacham afilot nai bar. V'nitkayem balzeh. V'od. Furthermore, V'od means another interpretation. Another interpretation the Balaturim brings. V'od. V'zoha parasha. The parasha of, of Titzaveh is about the clothing that the Kohen wore and how good he looked and all the, all the things he had to make for the Kohen, for the Hediota, for the Kohen Gadol. <coughs> he, he says, Moshe Rabbeinu should have been the Kohen Gadol. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu was the Kohen Gadol. Because when there was Chanukata Mishkan, when the, the Mishkan was, was dedicated, who passed the reign of Kuhuna onto Aaron HaKohen? Moshe Rabbeinu. What was the fiat that Moshe Rabbeinu had? He was the Kohen Gadol. Before Aaron HaKohen, he was, he was the one who took the Mishkan down and he put it up again. He was the Kohen Gadol without a doubt. However, El Aaron. 
נקנה ממנו וקנה לארון, לכן לא נזכר שמו של משה בפרשה זו, מפני אדמת נפשו. אוקיי, זה גדול In the, in the Mishkan or the Beit HaMikdash. And since Moshe Rabbeinu was denied the position of Kohen Gadol, because he, Moshe Rabbeinu, said that he didn't want to accept the Shlichut that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him, therefore the parasha of Tetzaveh was chosen by HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the parasha in which Moshe Rabbeinu's name would not appear. So that this idea that with Moshe Rabbeinu, that the severity of it is so great that Moshe Rabbeinu's name did not appear in the parasha of Tetzaveh. Now, of course, you could ask a question, and that is that there's something still a little loose here, something uh, that's not in place, and that is that the parasha of Tetzaveh comes before the parasha of Kitisa. Shouldn't it be that Moshe Rabbeinu's erased name should be in some parasha after he says Bechenina and not before. I mean, this is an optional question. Either you like it or you don't. But I remind you, I mean, I personally don't go for it because after all, the writing of the Torah, the writing of the Torah took place after all of this happened. Right, the Torah was written for an Ol Moed and the 40 years, you know, after Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai a second time on Yom HaKippurim. So what difference does it make if his name is missing from Tetzaveh or is not missing from Tetzaveh? But this reminds us of two things. Uh, in Paraglamet Aleph, in Paraglamet Aleph, it says, uh, the, the Pasuk says this, Vaitena Moshe, This is the story of Moshe Rabbeinu receiving the first Luchot. Right? The first Luchot. Vayitainu Moshe. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives them to Moshe Rabbeinu. Tichalotol edabayito b'har Sinai. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu finished his conversation with Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai. Shnei Luchot Ha'idut. Shnei Luchot Ha'idut. The two um, stones called Eidut. called the ones that witness Luchot Eben to win the Etzba Elohim. The stones were written the Etzba Elohim with the finger of God, which of course means that God wrote them. We don't know exactly how this happened, but we have to use words in order to explain it so that the words that are used are Etzba Elohim. Those are the words that I use. Now look at what Rashi says. Remember, this pasuk is written in the parasha of Kitisa. Right? Kitisa, which comes certainly after the parasha of Truman Tetzaveh. What's the topic in Truman Tetzaveh? What's the topic? The building of the Mishkan and the clothing of the Kohen. When did B'nai Yisrael build the Mishkan and, and, and the clothing of the Kohen? Do, do all of this stuff. after Yom HaKippurim, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai the second time. The second time. So the second time, Yom HaKippurim, there are two parashiyot in the Torah that make sense on this matter. And one of those two parashiyot, Vayakel and Pekudeh, which are essentially a repeat of Teruma and Tetzaveh. It ought to prove to yourselves that, uh, that they're a repeat. All you have to do is look at a Chumash and you'll see there's no Rashi or hardly any Rashi in Shuma, in Vayakel Bekudeh because Rashi has explained it all already in Terum and Tetzaveh. That's why it's a pleasure to learn those Pashas. No Rashi. Right? So now listen. If this Pasuk 
says that a Kodesh Baruch Hu gave the Luchot ever the first Luchot to Moshe Rabbeinu, what day is it that we're talking about in the Jewish calendar? No. Shavuos was not in turn. One day we talked about that Moshe Rabbeinu received the Luchot in his hands when he's going to come down and give them to B'nai Yisrael on Shavuos of Tammuz. Forty days later, Shavuos, right, Shavuos of Tammuz, right? So Shavuos of Tammuz is before Yom Kippurim, right? Therefore, which parishes are out of order? Which parishes don't make sense in the Torah? The parishes of Truma and Tetzaveh. Because Vayakel, at the beginning of Vayakel, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, he says, let's build a Mishkan. Let's build a Mishkan. So let's build a Mishkan. Makes sense after Yom Kippur, because then they got the, they got the Torah. Now they didn't get the Torah. So the problem is, what about Truma and Tetzaveh? Where do those two parishes belong? What do they have to do with... I mean, how can, how can you tell the day Israel to build a Mishkan before the Aserah that they wrote and before the Torah is given, before anybody knows anything about anything? doesn't make any sense. So look at Rashi. Rashi says, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong person. The third... The third... Uh, the third source, I tell him, I told him, I told him, I told him, I told him, but what does the Gemara Pesachim say it about? It says it about Pesach Sheni in Bamidbar. The first Pesach in Bamidbar says that it took place in the second year. What? What? On the second year of the second month, right? And the an year. And Parakhet in Parakhet in Bamidbar it says that. No, no. Just one second. The first pasuk of Bamidbar. You have to tell us to get a chumash. I read the first pasuk. I'm sorry. I mean, like an intermezzo. It's great if you remember everything perfectly. A senior moment. What? A senior moment. <laughs> No? Oh. Thank you so much. Here, the first Pasuk says, in Bamidbar, reading through the first Pasuk in Bamidbar, by the Be'er Shalom Moshe and Bar Sinai Be'ol Mu'ad Be'chad, L'chodesh HaShini, B'Shana HaShinit, V'Tzaitam Be'eretz V'Tzayim Le'mor. The second year, the second month. What's the second month? As Yaakov said, it is truly E'ar. Now in Parakhet, I turn my, I turn the pages here. Just go to Parakhet. By the Be'er Hashem HaMoshe, with Ba'ashidam Shana, Shanit, Tzaytam, Ha'etzvah, B'chodesh, Ha'yishon, Le'mo. So the beginning of Ba'amidbar says, Chodesh Ha'yishonit. Parakhet of Ba'amidbar says, the Gemara in Psachim says in that Thank you very much. The Gemara, actually, you remembered it correctly. We didn't have to get the Chumash, but we got the Chumash. I didn't remember. I got it mixed up. So the the, the Gemara says, Now about that, there's a Machloket Rishonim. Whether that means that every place in the Torah you could say That's Rashi. Or it means only when the Torah tells you that it's Ein Mukdam Muchavata. It says, like it said, the second month comes before the first month. So then, of course, everybody knows Ein Mukdam Muchavata. So Rashi is of the opinion, Lois Kim Hashem, I'm sorry, Rashi is of the opinion, Ein Mukdam Muchavata, that you could apply this principle every place. Any place you have a problem, you could apply the principle. So everybody knows. That Masa Egel, which started at Shivasa Betamuz, took place long before Moshe Rabbeinu commanded B'nai Israel to make the Mishkan. When did Moshe Rabbeinu command B'nai Israel to make the Mishkan? On the tenth day of 
Tishrei, when he came down the second time from the mountain, on the tenth day of Tishrei, Moshe Rabbeinu said, let's build a Mishkan. So what's Truman to Tzaveh? What are they doing there, according to Rashi? So what? So what? You don't expect the Torah to be chronological, necessarily. So it's not chronological. So therefore, from the, from a, the Mishkan was built from Yud Tishrei, Yom Kippurim, until Aleph Nisan. That's how long it took them to build it. So what about Shuma Tetzave? Where does it belong? It belongs after, after Kitisa. So if it belongs after Kitisa, the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was left out of the parasha of Tetzaveh, which is the parasha of the Kahuna, etc., is not really a problem, according to, according to Rashi. Not a problem. Let's look at another Pasuk. Another Pasuk says, Vayakel Moshe kol adat b'nei Yisrael v'yom alehem, now this person, Vayakel, Vayakel, when did Moshe Rabbeinu say, say what he said in Vayakel? Leisman the Poli. Everybody agrees that it was on the 10th day of Tishrei. Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain the second time, you remember. Moshe Rabbeinu went up to the mountain on Vov Siva. He stayed for 40 days and he came down with the Luchot. That's Yudzayin the Tamils. He broke the Luchot. He had a little fight. He killed a few people. He straightened everything out somehow. And then he went up on the mountain again. When did he go up on the mountain again? What date? Rosh Chodesh? Elul. Forty days later he came down from the mountain. It was Asora Betishrei. Yom HaKippurim. What did Moshe Rabbeinu say to B'nai Israel? What did he get them all together? By Akel Moshe. He got them all together to tell them something. What did he tell them? Let's build a Mishkan. So the Pasha Vayakel. The Pasha Vayakel is about building the Mishkan. The Pasha Bukudah is about all the other stuff that you had to build in the Mishkan. Right? First he made... Everybody knows that in the Pasha of Truma, first there are the Kalim, and then the building of the sanctuary. In Vayakel, first the sanctuary is built, and then the Kalim are built. So you have a place to put the Kalim. But that's, that's our sort of issue. Now look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, Yichol kol adab b'nei Yisrael l'shem l'shem k'kulab v'adrum l'achal v'shkan. Okay, we name Moshe Hashem Sivala Aroma the Siim, Chobene Israel, the Shim, the Shem. Again, next line. See, we the Chensha Yazebiyom Macharat read it all. Vamale Kulam, Inyana Mishkan, Ashen Itzavebo Mitchila, Chodem Shivar Halukhot. The Ramban doesn't go for this idea of Ein Mukdam Umduchar Batura. The Ramban says that it's in the proper order. In other words, first there was the Tzivui about the Mishkan, and then there was the Chaita Egel, and then there was the Tzivui of the Mishkan over again. It says, though Moshe Rabbeinu said to B'nai Yisrael, listen B'nai Yisrael, it's true that the way Rebbeinu Shlodim wanted us to build the Mishkan was in a state of purity. We received the Torah, Sarah said, they go build a Mishkan. And now you made the Egel, so you probably think, B'nai Yisrael, that you're not obliged anymore to build the Mishkan. Oh, because Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, build the Mishkan anyway. So what is Truman Tetzaveh? It's the building of the Mishkan before the Chaita Egel. And what is Vayakel Pekudeh? It's the building of the Mishkan after the Chaita Egel, even though B'nai Israel may have doubted that they are supposed to build a Mishkan, afterwards Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, you have to build Mishkan anyway. In other words, according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, everything is in order. And the Parsha of Tzavah truly came before the Parsha of the Yakel. And this principle of Ein Mukta Mumucha Batera 
does not exist for the Ramban except in those places where there's absolutely no choice. But here you see that the Ramban chose to say, first Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Yisrael about the Mishkan and the Kalim that's true in Tetzabah. Then they made the Ego. Then he came down from Harsina. He said, let's go, let's do the, the, the Mishkan. And people were perhaps incredulous. They didn't think that they could, that they were Ra'ui in order to build this Mishkan. But they built, they, the Moshe Rabbeinu told them that this is what a Kodesh Baruch wants. Wants B'nai Yisrael to build the Mishkan in spite of the fact that there was this Chet Ego. So all of that discusses, they, all of that is, is uh, kind of... Uh, things to think about in relation to the statement of the Balaturim, which was that Moshe Rabbeinu was left out of the parish of Tetzaveh because he said, Mecheni no. But it doesn't explain to us what Mecheni, what the idea of Mecheni no was. We understand. Since Moshe Rabbeinu said, Mecheni no, he was left out of a parish in the Torah, which parsha was he left out of? The parsha of Tzavah. Why was he left out of the parsha of Tzavah? Well, it's because of the Kahuna. But why that one? Uh, maybe because uh, after all, it was before the Chaita Egel. Well, according to Rashi, it wasn't before the Chaita Egel. And if, uh, according to uh, according to Ramban, maybe you have a kasha. That's where we are. Now I want to see what how Rav Nachman explained. This This is, uh, I think, I mean, I love to, to go through it, so I must like it. Remember that Pasuk? That's the Pasuk we started out with today. Here's Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman said, it's inconceivable that a person, any person, would not fall prey to a lack of humility, to haughtiness. That's what gadlut means. It doesn't mean literally. It means you think about yourself. He says, everybody has this problem. Especially if you happen to be standing around and you hear other people talking about you and say, oh, great this, great that, so kind, so good, so righteous, so charitable, right? Whatever you say. Especially imagine if a great king says nice things about you. Even if uh, not such a great king, the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of England makes on his press, next press conference says, oh, Provender is a great guy. So, so then you would really begin to think that you're a great guy. But even though it doesn't matter that he doesn't know me and I don't know him, I mean, what difference does it make? You know, it's like all public relations. It works anyway. He said, it's inconceivable if a king says nice things about you, but you won't like think he's right, you know. He must know what he's talking about. In order to overcome this, you have to be able to overwhelm those feelings and the connection that you have to real, to things that are real in this world. As, azai, yechol adam So he says, if a person is able, and they say, the Hasidim say, to be mafatal himself, like to say, you know, in the, the Bali Musa, there's one school of Musa that says, you know, he said, when two, two Nevardikas met, so one says to the other, you're nothing, but I'm less than nothing. You know, that was called Nevardika. Nevardika Musa. Slabotka Musa was, I'm great, but you're greater. So you have to decide which is the uh, more effective, which is the more effective method. He, said, he says, but Kamal Moshe Rabbeinu, 
This is true even about Moshe Rabbeinu. Now listen to this. Moshe Rabbeinu was harsin, on Harsinai, right, getting the Luchot. So he saw the whole Torah, the written Torah, even though it hadn't been written down for public consumption yet, but he saw the entire Torah. And he saw that in the Torah was full of these psukim. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu was kind of an active part in the Torah. He's getting billing. Every, every paragraph in the Torah is, is Moshe Rabbeinu's paragraph. Is Moshe Rabbeinu's tzivui, his, his, his mitzvah. This is the praise of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah says, What do you mean? Who's this Moshe? What's his chalak? He must really be important. He must be a very special person. Referring to the Torah. The Torah is praising. Well, God is praising Moshe Rabbeinu. But Moshe Rabbeinu was not affected. His humility remained intact. That's the epitaph. That's Moshe Rabbeinu in history. As the Torah says we should remember him, he was very humble. And so, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that all he had to do was plead the case for B'nai Yisrael. If he would just plead the case, he would certainly win because he had that humility. He was the only person who could stand before HaKadosh Baruch Hu as Kaviyochol on an equal level. That what Moshe Rabbeinu said to the Rebbeinu Shalom had weight. And that weight, according to Rav Nachman, comes because of his anava, because of his humility. If you don't, if you, HaKadosh Baruch do not bear their sin, you don't bear their sin, but so what does this mean? She'emli kol kach anivut. There's Moshe Rabbeinu who's talking to God and saying, listen, if I am really Moshe Rabbeinu, which means, what does it mean? That I have this quality of humility, which enables me to stand before HaKadosh Baruch right? You remember? Naseh adam b'tzalmeinu chidmet mitenu. What does Rashi say? Anvetanuto this is the humility of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which I always say means God created humility. By saying, God created humility for us. There's the reason that we can be humble is that God created humility. So humility is the most, uh, is, is the most divine of all the human traits. And therefore, the most divine human that ever was, was Moshe Rabbeinu. If he was the most divine human that ever was, then he was able to argue in the heavenly court better than anybody else, and he wasn't going to lose. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to HaKadosh Baruch if you bear the sin, I realize that I'm Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm making a good argument. But am I in... But if you don't bear their sin, if you say you're going to punish them in any event, So what does that mean? That I've somehow lost it. I, Moshe Rabbeinu, have lost it. What have I lost? I've lost humility. 
I don't have that humility that's necessary. He says, So what is the problem? Moshe Rabbeinu said to HaKadosh Baruch what is the problem? And I, Moshe Rabbeinu says, if you bear the sin, that I know that I'm, I'm arguing well. I, Moshe Rabbeinu, arguing well. What quality do I have that enables me to argue well? Anavai, humility. But if you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, heaven says, I'm going to punish them, I'm not going to listen to you, Moshe Rabbeinu. What does that mean to me, Moshe Rabbeinu? That I've lost it. That I don't have that humility. That I, I, I lost that essential quality that Moshe Rabbeinu has to have in order to lead B'nai Israel. I lost it. So, so, uh, uh, so where's Moshe Rabbeinu look around? He says, what could possibly be the cause of my losing the humility that's necessary to defend B'nai Yisrael in this heavenly court? He says, how could a person remain humble when he's mentioned in every paragraph of the Torah? Where everything in the Torah comes from Moshe Rabbeinu. It's like the king, the king of kings, the Kodesh Baruch Hu, saying, Ah, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu Fashtet, Moshe Rabbeinu Zinimui, Moshe Rabbeinu is a great Talmud. I mean, he's heaping praise upon praise on Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, if I'm not making it as a defense attorney for B'nai Yisrael, it must be because I've lost the quality of Humility to some extent. If I've lost the quality of humility, I've got to find out why. Why have I lost it? So Moshe Rabbeinu says, well, because my name appears in the Torah every place. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, in order to fix me, so that I should be able to make the arguments, I'd be able to pray for the B'nai Yisrael. Take away this, this terrible thing that is making me lose my, my humility. And what is that? So that even though HaKadosh Baruch even though HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, okay, I will bear their sin. The Baraturim says, Apiyah gives the Gemara in Marcos, that since Moshe Rabbeinu said it, Mecheni Nami Sifricha, there had to be some place where there was a Mecheni Nami Sifricha, and that place in the parasha of of Pitzavad, let us uh, finish. Let us finish. Shainish Aniro El Shomea, the whole eight sipush me, the Shibhiba Torah, Moshabedu says, I hear myself, my name being mentioned all the time. Meuchala Mobazeh. He says, okay, even Moshe Rabbeinu would be swayed by the fact that God keeps mentioning Moshe Rabbeinu as the conduit of the Torah. How do you imagine a person would hear this over and over and over again and not lose the humility? If I am truly humble, that I am truly the leader of the Nei Yisrael, I, 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 I should be able to make the argument that would even be accepted in heaven because I am the most noble of the creatures in creation. Three lines from the bottom. But if I am truly humble, then surely you will accept you will accept uh, my plea and give them uh, some sort of, of atonement. Okay. A few other, a few other psukim. So you see that according to Rabbi Nachman, when Moshe Abedah said, he was thinking about something. And he was thinking that he had lost perhaps. Because when Moshe Abedah was appointed the leader of Am Yisrael by Kodesh Baruch in order to take them out of Mitzrayim, to bring them to Har Sinai, and finally to Eretz Yisrael. Moshe already could not conceive of a situation where that shlichut, where that charge, would not be fulfilled. I mean, how could a Kodesh Baruch Hu, it doesn't make sense to say that a Kodesh Baruch Hu could give Moshe Rabbeinu a job, and then that job would cease to exist. Uh, I mean, it's not just the way it works in heaven. 
not that I know that much about it, but it would seem that if HaKadosh Baruch gave Moshe Rabbeinu a job, Moshe Rabbeinu should be able to do the job. That's what seems to be for Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu says, he says, look, maybe it's my fault. Maybe when I got the job, I was a certain kind of person. And that's why I got the job. And maybe now, I'm less of a person. I'm less of that certain kind of person. What quality is it that the Rav Nachman sees as the essential human slash divine quality? Humility. Because humility, humility is of course a matter of priorities. It's a matter of priorities. And so everybody knows if there's a job you don't want, you could be very humble about it. And you could say, well, I don't want the job. It's harder to be humble about something that you do want. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, his anava, his anivut, his humility derived from his closeness to God. It's as though Moshe Rabbeinu said, if you have conversations with God, why would I want to be the president of the shul? You know, or why would I want to be uh, honored at the annual dinner? I mean, the whole thing is madness. Moshe Rabbeinu lived in a world in which anava, humility, was the only attitude possible. It wasn't that, as we usually think of it, that Moshe Rabbeinu imposed humility on himself. Like he, like, he really wasn't so, but he learned to act that way. He was, uh, a, a, you know, like psychology does that sometimes. I'll teach you how to be a certain way. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't like that. Moshe Rabbeinu talked to God all the time. I mean, when you talk to God all the time, you, of course you're going to be humble. Because there's, you're so far out of the, out of the reckoning that it looks to everybody else like humility. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew, according to Rav Nachman of Bratzlov, that it was the humility in him which would enable him to conquer even the wrath of heaven. And if for some reason his argument was not accepted, it was because his humility had been uh, flawed. What could possibly have flawed Moshe Rabbeinu's humility? The fact that it was mentioned again and again in the Torah, and so Moshe Rabbeinu asked, Hey, you know, if you erase me from the Torah, I will return to my old self, my humble self. And the argument that I make for salvation of B'nai Yisrael will be, will be accepted. Have a good shot.